Good morning. Um, <clears throat> you may have noticed I got a bit of a cold over the last week, so maybe I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but maybe on this sermon on healing, it was I needed to be sick through part of it. Uh, it definitely gave me some insight for today's message. The, uh, when we started this series leading up to today, and uh, as we've mentioned several times after the service, uh, we'll dismiss and then we'll come back at about quarter to twelve and uh, begin a time of prayer uh, as a congregation. And uh, so this series leading up to today, to this time of prayer, was to really help us as Christians understand what it is to have a right biblical foundation for healing. And if you remember quickly, the first two sort of pillars that we put up in, in sort of building this uh, building or this structure, this theology of healing and illness was that the most important healing that must happen is the healing of our broken relationship with God. That the fundamental problem with humanity is that we are distant from God and that we need that relationship restored and redeemed and that everything that God is doing and everything you read about in Scripture is the story of God's plan to restore that relationship and to redeem. That word redeem keeps coming up. Redeem means to restore, to heal, to make right, and to not waste, but to make use of. And so God's trying to redeem that relationship. And then the second pillar that we didn't want to forget, though, is that we're not just spirits, we're not just souls that, you know, we can forget about the the physical world, and we can forget about creation, and God isn't concerned about our bodies or our well-being because, you know, he just has this mystical plan but that the second pillar is that God is compassionate and God does care for our physical well-being. That in fact the redemption that he, he has planned, not just for our relationship, he has a plan of redemption for our bodies. That we looked at Romans 8 about, that, that, that Paul said all creation groans waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And we, we looked back at the curse in Genesis and all the trouble through the world and the in-between time that we're living in, that that redemption has not yet come. And then we looked in Revelation 21 when all the tears are dried and our bodies are redeemed and there is no more pain and no more suffering. So we have to understand that God is compassionate and cares about our physical well-being. And then from that, we looked last week more closely at healing in Scripture and in the Bible with a focus on Jesus in the early church age. And, and we received the affirmation of our first two pillars that Jesus has come to restore our relationship, but also that Jesus ushered in a time period and of healing that's unprecedented, that Jesus was the pinnacle of healing ministry. And he was widely healing, uh, relationally and the, and the wounds, the physical wounds of our, of our physical bodies. And God is accomplishing redemptive purposes in and through the church, both in reconciling God to man relationally, but also in restoring people physically and emotionally and mentally and relationally. We saw that after Jesus came the church, and it's our, our role in the church because he, he gave us the gift of healing. And so that as a church, we are meant to be participating in this redemptive process that God has us on. We're meant to join in God and his kingdom purposes. Even when we don't understand in every instance why God chooses to heal or to delay healing, we're confident that God is not wasting our illness. He's not wasting our brokenness. And so we have that sort of picture of healing that we understand it's a gift that is part of what God's doing, that we participate in it, that it's redemptive, that we should pray for it, that it's part of the church. And we also understand, or I understand as I, as I preach these messages, that, that illness and brokenness 
is deeply personal, is deeply a part of our relationship with God because it's for our brokenness that he came. And so we approach this very carefully as a, as a topic to get it right. We don't want the Bible to say too much about healing, and we don't want the Bible to say too little. And so now that we have sort of those pillars and, and beams up and we've filled in the walls and floor a little bit in terms of our theology, uh, today what I want to do is uh, I want to deal with how we as Christians now, given all that understanding, how do we walk with our illness? If God chooses to delay, how do we walk in our brokenness? How do we live out as God would have us live out of our illness and our brokenness and our hurt? Because we know that God is redeeming it. And so how is God then redeeming our illness? How do we join him in that redemptive process? And let me just pray as we open up scripture and look into that. Father God, this morning we, we thank you that we have this opportunity to come and open up your word and for it to teach us and for it to be illuminated by your Holy Spirit. I pray that uh, as I preach this, that people will be taking it very personally. This is, this, this is really meant to be taken personally because we don't know each other's pain. We don't, we don't know each other's wounds, really. Only we know those things, just, just you and us. And so, Father, we, as I, as I go through this, I, I pray that people will be applying it to their personal life, whether it's a physical illness, whether it's a mental illness, whether it's emotional distress, stress, fear, anxiety, broken relationships, whatever it is that's broken, Father, and ill, that people will be uh, applying it to that and understanding that that you are redeeming it, that there is a perfect redemption to come, but that that redemption has begun, and that, that you're not just redeeming it in one way, but you might be redeeming it in hundreds of ways. So, Father, that's, that's what I pray for this morning as we open up your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, the first, the first uh, point that I want to make is, is to understand that suffering and illness and pain was actually given to us for our instruction. And so, so really point zero, or before I get into the other eight points that I'm going to quickly go through on healing or on the redemption of illness, is, uh, is that we, we would waste our illness or we would waste our suffering if we don't learn all of these things that we're going to learn and more. If we don't learn from our illness, we're wasting it. But we, we redeem our illness as we allow God to use it for teaching and for guidance and for faith building in his redeeming work. And so that's what we're doing. And I, I take that if you wanted a verse from Psalm 1. 1971, where the psalmist says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It's good. There's a, there's a goodness in our affliction. There is a, a goodness that can come out of it in that we learn, in that we understand what God is doing in his redemptive work. And so what are some of those lessons then? Well, the first one is that we would waste our illness. God's not wasting our illness, but we would waste our illness if, if we don't pray about it and through it. And we would redeem our illness as we pray for God to work in it. And so as we are ill or broken or in pain, we redeem that by praying about it and praying through it. When God gives the gift of healing, it always glorifies God and points people towards having faith in the gospel. When God heals, He does it for the good of the church, it says in 1 Corinthians 12.7, and He does it for His glory, and He does it as a witness to the world. And so we saw last week that people sought Jesus for healing and, and he was quick to heal. He healed multitudes. And that we saw that the gift of healing was given to the church. And we saw that John prayed for health in the church. And we saw that Paul prayed for his own healing. And so if we don't pray for our illness and we don't pray through our illness and brokenness, 
and our suffering, then in a way we're wasting it and we're not redeeming it. God intends in our illness that we would be leaning into Him in prayer and praying for it and praying through it. And as we bring our pain to God in prayer and we bring our illness and our suffering to God in prayer, then we're joining Him in part of His purpose for it. And that's what this afternoon is about. Part of the purpose of illness is to draw us in prayer closer to God. And so we come this afternoon as a congregation deliberately to come before God in prayer and pray through it and pray for it. That's what it's about. And so we redeem our illness when we realize it's an opportunity for us to pray. Secondly, because I have to go quickly, we, we waste our illness if we don't see it as a spiritual battle. Our redemption and our healing or our persistence in joy and confidence in spite of suffering are battlegrounds. Whether we're healed or not, whether we are joyful and hopeful in our suffering, those are battlegrounds. And we are victorious and Satan loses when we are healed. And even when we are joyful and hopeful and allow God to use us in our suffering, those are battles that Satan loses. And so we redeem our illness and our suffering when we see our illness and we see our suffering as spiritual battles. When we see them as opportunities to gain ground for the kingdom and to defeat Satan in our own lives and in the church. Because Satan will assault us with doubt and with accusations and fear and discouragement. Right As we go through this brokenness in our lives, whether it's a disease or whether it's an illness or whether it's a broken relationship or whatever it is, or a diagnosis that's life-threatening, Satan will assault us and it is a spiritual battle. This is a reason that Satan will use to say, see, God doesn't, isn't there, or God isn't powerful, or God doesn't care about you. But we redeem our illness and our suffering when we realize this is a spiritual battle for us personally and for the church. When Satan assaults us with doubt and accusations, we have to press through those seasons of adversity before we'll maybe see breakthroughs. And the breakthroughs could be in our physical wellness or it could be in our faith or it could be in our testimony to the church and those around us. But we have to be careful. It's our job to be careful not to waste our suffering when God would redeem it as a spiritual battleground that we can win. And we have examples of this right here in our church. We have examples of these spiritual battles taking place in illness and we are the beneficiaries of the victors of those battles. Right? We saw it with how, in, in our church, how people went through illness, spiritually, right? We saw it with Pat. We see it with, with, um, with Bill Picard, right? We see it with Stephanie, as was talked about. We see people winning the spiritual battle in their faith, in their hope, in their joy, in their testimony. And so we redeem our illness when we realize that that's exactly what it is. It's a spiritual battleground. And God wants us to win that battle and have victory. Thirdly, we would waste our illness if we don't see it as an opportunity for the gospel and we redeem our illness when it brings praise and the gospel to our lips. If there was any connection in the Bible, if you were, if you were going through scripture and, and you were trying to find a connection between something in scripture, something to do with God and healing, you were trying to make that link. What, what is that linkage to healing? There is no doubt that this is the one solid link in the Bible with healing. It's that if there's healing, it's for the praise and glory of God and to testify to his gospel. I mean, in the Old Testament, when, when Naaman was healed in 2 Kings, 
He says, after his healing, he says, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is a pagan king who God heals so that this pagan king testifies that the God of Israel is the only God. And then when you go forward in the New Testament, you realize time after time after time, healing was given, and the power to heal was given to Jesus and to the apostles in order for the proclamation of the gospel and the praise of God. In Matthew 15, I'll just pick one. Right, The great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled, the mute and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seen. And the, and, the, and the link is there at the end. And they praised the God of Israel. So over and over and over again, we've seen that Jesus healed in order that people would hear the gospel and know its power over sin for salvation. And the apostles healed in order that people would know the gospel. And Hebrews tells us that the gospel message was accompanied, Hebrews 2.4, by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to God's will. And so if healing in our church, if healing in the church age was, was meant to go hand in hand with anything at all, if you could make any link in Scripture to healing, it would be to the gospel. If there's anything that we can expect to company or come alongside our healing, it would be the proclamation of the gospel and praise to God for that healing. Not as a a matter of a magic formula, as if we can invoke healing, but as a matter of purpose, that our illness is not wasted, that our suffering and our brokenness is not wasted. It gives us an opportunity to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and why he came and why we treasure him, even in our illness and our suffering. And if the gospel's not present and visible in our illness, then it may be hard for us to expect healing to be present and visible and near to us in our healing as well, because the linkage is there that God brings healing where he is proclaimed. And so always turn conversations of your illness or your suffering or your brokenness into praise to God and the good news of Jesus Christ and let your speech and let our speech be seasoned with the gospel of grace and joy and hope so that people hear you and wonder at the hope that you have within you despite your illness. And where the gospel is, there's healing. That's clear in scripture. Healing and the gospel go hand in hand. And so we redeem our illness, we redeem our suffering and our brokenness when we use it as opportunity for the gospel. Fourthly, we we waste our illness if we put our faith in statistics rather than God. And we redeem our illness when we do not put our faith in horses and chariots, which are the odds of survival, or seriousness of side effects. But we put our trust in the name of the Lord, Psalm 27 says. And so we redeem our illness when our hope is not in 30% chance of this or 50% chance of that or 77% chance of this or 10% of this population does whatever. We redeem our illness when we put our trust in the name of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 1.9, we talked about this a bit last week, it says, we felt that we had received, this is Paul speaking, as he is traveling and sharing the gospel and planting churches, he says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
The aim of God in your illness, among a hundred other aims and a hundred other things that God is doing in our illnesses and in our sickness, is to knock the supports out from underneath our hearts. He wants to knock the supports out from underneath our hearts so that we rely utterly on God. To the extent that our illness drives us deeper into our trust of God, to that extent we redeem our illness. If you're ill, if you're broken, if you're sorrowful, if you're weeping, if there's broken relationships, if there's hurt, if there's heartache, to the extent that that drives you deeper into trusting God, to that extent you're redeeming the brokenness. And so we waste our illness if we put faith in statistics and we redeem our illness as we put our faith in God. Fifthly, we waste illness if we think getting healthy is a greater goal than cherishing Christ. And we redeem our illness when we're brought to the realization that there is a greater treasure than health or even life. Because I get it. It's hard to be sick. Especially life-threateningly sick. And so we can really cherish health. But if we think getting healthy is a greater goal than cherishing Christ, then our illness is being wasted. God wants to redeem our illness by showing us and our brokenness that there is a greater treasure even than health, even than life, and that treasure is Jesus. We just finished a whole series on the importance as disciples of Jesus that He is our greatest treasure. That we cherish Jesus above everything else in life. And we would trade anything joyfully in order to get the treasure of Jesus. We'd trade anything for Him and more of Him. And that's what discipleship is. It's it's going further on that journey. And so I won't spend a lot of time more than just on that because we just talked about that other than to say that that know this. that, That your illness isn't winning if it gets worse or even takes your life. Our illness or brokenness only wins if we allow it to draw us away from Jesus rather than closer to Him. God God uses our illness and our brokenness to weaken the hold of the world on us so that we are able to say with Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So if your illness is drawing you closer to God, then your illness is not winning. It's actually serving you and saving you. And you could... Pick up a lot of different books on this, right? Johnny Erickson Tata has a few books that you could read on that to understand how we redeem our illness to the extent that it draws us closer to God. Know that your illness is not winning when it gets worse. Your illness doesn't win even when you die. Your illness only serves to bring you into the presence of Christ. And so don't waste illness or brokenness by letting it draw you away from Christ. Rather, redeem your illness by using it to draw you closer to Christ and cherishing Him all the more. Six, we waste our illness if we allow it to drive us into solitude. We redeem our illness if we use it to deepen our compassion and relationship with others. David Powelson writes during his own struggle with cancer, he says, Our culture is terrified of facing death, its obsession with medicine. It idolizes youth, health, and energy. It tries to hide any sign of weakness or imperfection. You will bring huge blessing to others, 
by living openly, believingly, and lovingly within your weakness. Paradoxically, moving out into relationships where you are hurting and weak will actually strengthen others. And that's true. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 tells us this. It says, Praise be to God. Again, Paul speaking. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves received from God. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, I get it. You're sick. You're ill. You've been afflicted. You're struggling. You're broken. But what you need to do with that to redeem it is you need to go out into relationship with others so that you can comfort those with the same comfort that you've received in your brokenness, in your illness. As David Powelson says, paradoxically, moving out into relationship when you are hurting and weak will strengthen others. Your illness is a gift to the church. We waste our illness if we allow it to drive us into solitude. We redeem our illness if we use it to deepen our compassion and our relationships with others. Seven, we we waste our illness if we don't allow others to serve us. We redeem our illness if we become gracious objects of Christian love and mercy. Now, most people hate being dependent. And this is one of the the real struggles with illness when it strikes us, especially in our youth or when we feel really vibrant and we're frustrated because we can't do the things that we could do before or the brokenness that enters into us mentally or emotionally and we just find ourselves unable to cope and needing to depend on people whether it's emotionally or mentally or physically. And this is, a, this is where we don't understand that uh, because we love being independent and we love being the ones that serve and that we don't need anybody, then this is difficult for us because it's forced on us in illness. And so in addition to 1 Corinthians 1, 3-4, which says we're meant to go out and give comfort, in the same sense, we have John 13.35. It says, By this everyone will know that you are my, pos- my disciples if you love one another. And 1 John 3.16, which says, This is how we know that love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, we're meant to be on the receiving end of love and mercy and care and comfort. And so we waste our illness if we don't allow anybody to care for us. We waste our illness if we reject the mercy and love and compassion of brothers and sisters in Christ that want to serve us. But we redeem our illness if we are willing to become gracious objects of that love and mercy. And that's the testimony to the church. Both the giving of love and comfort and the receiving of love and comfort. And we think a lot about the giving, but we sometimes forget that it's okay to receive it. That sometimes there's seasons in our life where we're meant to be the receptors of love and mercy. And that's the purpose of our illness, that God is using our illness for that, for the love and mercy that we receive, and also for the witness that it is to everybody around them. And I've told you the story of my dad several times, but this is exactly what I recognized in my dad's illness with his Alzheimer's, that it was his job to receive my mother's love. That was it. And he was bringing glory to God in that, in his Alzheimer's. It's staggering how God uses our illness. Anyway, last one, eight. We waste our illness and suffering if we remain 
angry at God and instead of glorifying Him. And we redeem our illness and suffering when we accept that Christians are never in any circumstance by accident or without purpose. Your life circumstances, especially circumstances of suffering and brokenness, give you unique opportunities to be Christian witnesses. And we need our brothers and sisters to be a witness to us in their illness and suffering. And we may have opportunity, and we will have opportunity to do the same for them in our turn. As we have been encouraged by the testimony of those around us, we will then encourage others when it's our turn. Your family needs that witness. The world needs this witness that we don't remain angry at God, but that we turn our anger into glory. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. There will be times of doubt, and there will be times of sorrow, and there will be times even of anger at what you're going through. And that's okay. Because God, believe it or not, is bigger than your anger. God is larger than your sorrow. And He can accept it. He can take it. But we're not meant to stay in that anger. God is at work in our illness redeeming us and redeeming those around us and putting His Gospel on display and demonstrating love in His church through our compassion to others and and demonstrating uh, His mercy in our receiving of love from others. And He's working in a 100,000 other things in our illness and our role is to join God in that redemptive work. And so if we just remain angry and bitter at God in our illness, then we're wasting it. But as we depend on God and we turn that anger into glory and praise, then we're redeeming our illness because we're not meant to stay in anger. We're meant to move on to glory. Now just one final word on on faith and healing. There's, There's two ways in which the faith of God is revealed. And we often make the mistake of thinking and This is where we want Scripture to give us this balanced view again, that we don't say too much about healing or too little about healing and how God is working in it. There's two ways in which the faith of God is revealed, and and we often make the mistake of thinking that, that great faith only is shown by the ability to influence God for spectacular, miraculous results, right? That that when people are healed, when the dead are raised, when you know cancer is eliminated, when a when a, a, a wound is healed, that, that that's a sign of real faith that the, we've influenced God by our faith for the miraculous to happen. But yet, in Hebrews chapter 11, which everybody sort of anecdotally calls the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of faith. It tells a different story about another kind of faith that's less spectacular, but it's no less miraculous. In Hebrews 11, at the very end, after going through all the by faith, by faith, by faith, the writer of Hebrews is summing up the end of the chapter, and he says, what more shall I say? I do not have the time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And women received back their dead and raised to life again. Thinking that's the faith, right? That's that's the spectacular, miraculous faith. That's that's what we're talking about. But then he keeps going, and then he says, But there were others who were tortured, 
refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. Okay, there's, there's two kinds of ways that great faith can appear. It can appear in the miraculous victory and overcoming and raising of the dead to life and conquering. And great faith can also show up in the faithful suffering under affliction, but not despairing, but having joy and hope in God for a greater resurrection. And so when we pray for healing, we're not praying saying, God, this is the only kind of faith we want. We just want to have the faith that says we get the miraculous healing. God says, no, there's another kind of faith too. It's the faith of bearing up under the illness and the suffering that you have for the purpose of having hope and joy in a greater resurrection and the testimony of what that witness is to the world. So we pray for both kinds of faith. And they're really the same faith. It's a deep, profound, fundamental faith in God that He knows what is right for us in healing and in illness, in joy and in suffering. And that as Christians, we believe that there will be times when our faith will be exercised in miraculous victory over illness, and there will be times when our faith is exercised in brokenness and death. And that great faith may make itself evident always makes itself evident in how we bear up under that illness and brokenness, even on the doorstep of death. And this is the faith that we seek at all time, but we seek that level of faith in our prayer today especially. The prayer of faith that can heal and the prayer of faith that can preserve us through suffering, but with joy and hope and confidence in God so that the world marvels at us. Let's pray. Father God, we're going to go into a time of prayer as a congregation, and I, I hope people can stay because we really want to press in for this healing. And as I've mentioned, it's not just physical healing, it's not just illness, it's, it's all the brokenness that we have within the church, with each other, past relationships, distress, anxiety. Father, you want to redeem. You want to restore. You're in the process of restoring. You're in the process of redeeming. We see it all around us. You're doing it in your church. You're doing it in our lives. And so, Father, we want to have a right, balanced view, a a proper view of healing in Scripture. We don't want to say too less, too little. We don't want to say too much. We want to come before you in faith, submitted to you, knowing that you care and are compassionate. That you have a purpose in our illness. You have a purpose in our suffering. You will never waste it, Lord. Help us not to waste it. Help us to seek out today how to redeem it with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.